Hello, my name is Colin Donnell, and you're listening to episode 12 of The Run Loop, a weekly discussion about designing and developing iOS and Mac apps. Today's guest is Noah Reed. Noah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. How's your day going? It's going pretty well. It's uh, nice and warm here in Texas. It's, you know, I don't know, good day. Yeah, how's... uh? How long have you been in Texas now? Um, almost a year. It'll be a year in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. How how are you? Uh, so you're in you're in Austin. How how are you liking it? Uh, I like it pretty well. There's a um, it's a lot of good food around here, which is kind of one of my top priorities in a place. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I I like it pretty well. I'm kind of getting to know the the design scene and. Um, we're settled in. We spend a lot of time at the pool because it's mm-hmm. really warm out. You know, it's a good place though. That's cool. Um, so I guess the place to start the way we start every show is, mm-hmm. uh, just say how people might be familiar with you. Uh, if they're familiar with me, it would probably be through, uh, my blog, um, and, uh, Twitter. Um, I've been blogging for a few, um, several years now and, uh, they might know some uh, things I've designed. Usually they're for smaller clients, but uh, I've designed the last couple of versions of the Geekbench app um, that uh, Primate Labs, uh, John Poole, and those folks do. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, yeah, I think that's about, that's about it. That's cool. I think a lot of people probably know what Geekbench is. How'd you, uh, how did you get hooked up with Primate, with Primate Labs? Um, so I lived in Seattle several years ago and well, not several, like four years ago. And, um, while I was there, I, uh, started learning how to develop iOS apps. And so I went to CocoConf down in Portland. Um, and I think that's actually the first time I met you as well, but, um, I was, I was in CocoConf and, uh, they had this thing where they had like, uh, you know, like show your app thing for lunch on one during the lunch hour on one day. And, me, uh, I showed the app that I I built over the previous year, and um, uh, John uh, Poole showed um, some uh, compiler stuff that he'd been working on for for Geekbench, and so um, kind of through that we met each other, and then um, a year or two later he got in touch with me right after right as iOS seven was about to come out, um, and uh, we worked on uh, Geekbench three, and then uh, a little bit later. Uh, I guess this would have been 2015 in the fall. Um, he got in touch with me again to, to do, uh, the version four. That's cool. Do you, uh, so is more of your design work, maybe say like, you know, so you do, you're doing more design than development these days, you said, but, uh, Mm -hmm. is more of your design work been on the Mac or iOS? Uh, definitely iOS, um, I, mostly on the web, but, um, the, any native applications that I've designed have all been, um, iOS. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's cool. And, um, and, uh, when you were doing development, so you did this app called, um, uh, mind vault, mm-hmm. which was the thing that you did the first time that I met you. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we could just talk about what that is. Cause I remember it being kind of cool. Yeah, so MindVault is an app that um, you use to memorize stuff. So it's a uh, um, you put whatever you want in there to memorize. Um, could be uh, wedding vows or or your lines in a play or um, or you know um, inspirational quotes or whatever. 
and uh, and what you can do is it parses the the text and split and splits it apart so that it can hide certain parts of the text. So basically, there's a slider. You slide you slide it down, and it kind of hides portions of the words. So as you kind of read through it and recite it to yourself, you're you're um, you're kind of memorizing it as you go because you have to fill in the blanks with what those words are. Mm-hmm. And so um, I I uh, it was my first. Um, time making an iOS app. Um, uh, I wanted to learn how to do it. And so this was a good opportunity for that to happen. Um, and uh, it took me about, I'd never programmed anything before. So it was kind of a, from the ground up, uh, learning how to do stuff. This was Objective-C. I think this was back in 2011. And um, and uh, and so it was, uh, I, I worked on it for like nine months or so on my commute to and from work. I lived in, uh, uh, across the sound from Seattle at the time. And so I would commute on the ferry to work and back. And, uh, I was able to basically get an hour, hour and a half of work on my app at the, um, done while I was commuting. So that's, that's how that came about. Mm-hmm. And so you did, uh, so, so you did mind fault and then, mm-hmm. um, and then I, I do remember, I remember uh, you presenting at CocoConf, actually, uh, the, mm. when you did the lunch thing. So uh, you did MindVault, you did CocoConf, you did these things. Um, what else, uh, what, 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 what happened next in your, your career of iOS and design? Well, um, I did uh, features for iOS uh, for, for MindVault over the years, um, and then, uh, but kind of my day job was working in design agencies, um, working mostly on, on the web. So, but I would do some, uh, iOS stuff, uh, on a freelance basis. Um, and then over the last year or two, I've done quite a bit of, uh, kind of, um, design system work, um, on a freelance basis where you do, uh, building, designing basically how large organizations would, could, um, have their software spread across a lot of different platforms like uh, mm-hmm. Android, iOS, the web, you know, all, all sorts of different platforms. So I've done, I've done kind of that kind of work. And then now in my job, um, uh, I also do some um, IO design iOS apps for the enterprise client uh, customers that our company serves. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about, uh, so, so that's kind of interesting what you're saying about designing a, uh, like a platform thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're designing a, you know, something that's going to, you know, a system that's going to be across multiple different platforms, uh, you know, iOS, web, Android, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, h- how do you h- how do you think about that? It's kind of a it's kind of a um, like a con- it's like a it's like a big balancing act the whole time because you want to have um, the whole point of the design system is kind of a, have a branded look and feel that, that you can own um, interaction methods that 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 are that you can lay claim on, but at the same time, you want to respect the conventions of the platform enough so that the user doesn't get confused. I mean, I think um, that's one of the big things that people have complained about the, the Adobe apps for years is if you use it on windows, they don't really feel like native windows apps you use it on Mac, you know, there's some things that just don't feel quite, um, quite like native things because they have their own system that they adhere to more. And so, um, my my approach has been get to know the the kind of the platform guidelines as well as I can, um, in order to make sure that uh, you know we 
the system has kind of a branded look for the customer, but um, so it's recognizable, recognizably their system, but it fits into the the platforms uh, that 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 it's spread across. Mm-hmm. And do you think that is that is that difficult? Like, because I mean, you have what you use, right? So, do uh-huh. you feel like it's easy to be like, uh, you know, like biased towards like you know it being more of an iOS Mac thing than it being like the other things? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it is difficult because I mean, I, yeah, I use iOS and Mac stuff. Um, I've used it since the first iPhone, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm very used to the way those things work. And it's kind of like, uh, I feel like I don't have to refer to the HIG or whatever as much just because I kind of like, I'm in it every day. Um, uh-huh. And so it, it is challenging. You do have to work harder. Um, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm kind of lucky that I've gotten into the Android, like designing the Android side of things uh, post their new material design initiative. Um, mm-hmm. when they really kind of cleaned up their act and, you know, it's, it's still, um, inner, like smoothness wise and, uh, and, and animation wise Android, I feel like is, is still a little rough, but it looks much nicer than it was before. I feel like there's, they've, they've standardized in a good way. Mm-hmm. So do you think that, um, so what I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you about design specifically mm-hmm. and what I want to ask you, number one do you think that, uh, you know, you knowing about, you know, learning about making iOS apps, making your mm-hmm. own iOS apps, do you think that that has been useful for you when you're working with Mac and iOS developers? Like, just to speak with them? Yeah, definitely. I found that that's the case uh, when it comes to uh, that a, f- a couple different times on the Geekbench uh, projects specifically. You know, just, just simple things like handing off the assets to developers like in writing spec sheets about how, how you want things to work, you know, because I'd done it myself, I kind of, I knew exactly what they would need. I was able to pre output, you know, icons and files for them. Um, mm-hmm. And it made it really easy on the UI side for, for the developer. So I find it, I find it really helpful. And then kind of more on the, on the website, just understanding enough about, you know, understanding how HTML, CSS, JavaScript work um, kind of helps you know what, uh, what is, what things you can, well, it helps you basically respect the the time of the developer. Um, you can you can design something really cool that that um, is very flashy or interesting, but if it's if you can do the same thing a little more simply, you could save literally weeks of a developer's time, um, which is important on you know budget constrained projects and timeline constrained projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm sure that like, I th- I think for me you know, when I can work with designers or product people or whatever who, you know, have an understanding and a background in, you know, they understand development, it's Mm -hmm. good to me. Because, yeah, like you can all speak the same language. You're not just always explaining things to them and they're not like sending you things that you can't possibly do. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I I think it's really good when everybody has like a base level at least. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that base level, I mean, uh, it's... (sighs) I think even if, if designers like are familiar just with kind of web development technologies, if they've like designed their own, a, a website, if they've developed a website or whatever, just enough to get into like the designer, like the developer mindset a little bit. It just it helps in so many different ways in the way when they have to interact with developers and and work with them. So, um, so the flip side of that is, which I'm interested to ask you, is. Mm-hmm. 
what do you think uh what do you think developers could do or what what do you think would be useful for developers to know that they maybe generally don't that would make it easier to work with non-developers uh, it kind of that's a good question i feel like i've been spoiled a little bit in my career most of the developers i've worked with are um have uh some design experience and or, or at least are interested in it um, I think the the biggest challenge as I've had working with developers are when they um, they don't have much experience doing uh, front end stuff in general, um, and so they so they kind of I, I don't know I, I feel like designers kind of have to, to 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 learn to empathize and speak the language of developers, you know, and it's it's, it's kind of the same vice the other way. Um, I think d- developers who are interested in design and want to learn and who are excited and who aren't intimidated by designers, um, I think those those are they're usually great to work with. And as well, there there are things in the designers um, parts of the design process uh, d- that um, can be very frustrating for other people and organizations in the same organization, like, um, research stuff and user testing. And, um, when you, when you're just kind of itching to build something, um, Mm -hmm. uh, waiting and, and, uh, being in waiting on the kind of those early processes is, can, can be frustrating. And so, um, I think learning more about what, what goes into design, which I feel like is there's more and more parts and, um, and uh, and roles in design all the time, so it can be kind of hard. But being interested in that kind of stuff, I feel like, can make everybody happier when they work together. Yeah. So you're kind of saying, like, if everybody could speak, you know, if developers can learn a little more design and designers can learn a little more development, it makes everything easier for yeah. everybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if so, let's say you're a developer and you want to learn more. Yeah, you know, you're an iOS or Mac person because that's you know who the show's for. Sure. Uh, who we're talking to. Um, let's say you want to learn more about that. Where, where would you start? Like, where would somebody go who wanted to, you know, who was interested in design, maybe didn't have a background in that, where it's like the best place for them to get started moving there? Um, I think, uh, what, what I would do is kind of take, um, so what I would, one thing I would do is probably, uh, like, uh, look into new trends in in kind of design philosophy, things like design thinking, which is a kind of a movement coming out of IDEO and some of the bigger um, indust- uh, bigger design consultancy things. They do a good job of explaining how design methodology goes into business decisions and um, and they you can see things like um, uh, exercises like design, thinking workshops and brainstorming and exercises to help uh, find the right product to find the right approach to a problem. And that's kind of where they figure out what the product should be. Um, Mm -hmm. I think uh, that would help, that helps you get kind of an appreciation for the early phases of of design. Um, And then uh, I think also just kind of being familiar with the tools of, of designers like, um, so like I use sketch and one of the nice things about sketch is it's uh, is it has a lot of tools when it comes to how uh, you measure 
You measure different elements. You can see how they're spaced with, between each other. Um, and just kind of downloading that and playing around with uh, the files of the designers and seeing how they seeing how they put things together. It can also be kind of an, a good education on, on the more crafty technical side of design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So you're saying uh, looking into like current like design trends and mm-hmm. like, you know, getting more familiar with the tools and sketch, which is an app that I like a lot too. Yeah. Um, are there any like, uh, Hmm. What, what about like, uh, are there any like specific like books or anything that you think might be useful or cause like anything like concrete we could like point people to maybe? Yeah. Well, it depends. <laughs> there's, there's, there, there are a lot of great books. Um, uh, the books that I, I remember in college reading, uh, are kind of like the, the things, the, the, the big necessary things were things like, um, uh, uh, the elements of typographic style by Robert Bringhurst, and that mm-hmm. that's a it's a very dense book, um, and I really liked it. But I'm pretty sure anybody I gave it to that was not also like a design nerd would not. Um, uh, but there are um, online resources uh, kind of based on some of the ideas of that um, that uh, that would be good to look at. It kind of helps you appreciate like why why designers choose the fonts they do, why spacing is so important, you know, why uh, it kind of helps under, helps you understand the, it's not really science, but kind of the, the science behind readability and how, how things are read. Um, I also think, uh, I'm trying to think of what else would be good. Um, there are a handful of books by a woman named Ellen. Uh, is it Ellen or Helen? I've got them on my bookshelf. Um, but uh, I think it's Ellen Lupton. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, a she teaches at a design school back East and she has like, a, a, a whole series of books that she does with her graduate students every year that are great kind of introductions into, um, into basic design, um, ideas. She has books about, uh, uh, you know, just different design principles like form and line and, you know, it's, it's, it's very approachable stuff. And if, I think it's, um, if you're interested in it and you deal with designers and talk with designers, um, and you want to want to learn more, those might, those would be a good, um, a place to start. That, that sounds good. I'll make sure there's links for those in the show notes mm-hmm. uh, also. So, um, something I think about a lot that you'd mentioned to me also, mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm, I'm clear. I'm curious. I'm curious <laughs> to get your, to get your take on this is like, I guess for years now, I've been saying that like, it's sort of hard for me to think about like design and development as even being different things mm-hmm. because they seem like so tightly into, you know, it's so like, um, tightly coupled. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, what do you think the maybe talk about where you see the line between design and development and uh, what the differences are and you know what the similarities are? I mean, I, I kind of think a lot like you. Um, there's like building a thing, right? And it's, and along that thing, there's a lot of different tasks that have to be done, but people can span um, uh, any number of those different tasks, uh, um, and they can they can. They can do a good job. I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of a big believer in being a generalist uh, as much as you can, at least for me. Um, and so I feel like the separation between design and development, um, it's, 
a lot of it depends on the size of your team. The smaller your team, the less that line matters um, because mm-hmm. you've got to uh, you've got to you know if somebody's got to d- d- develop it and it's probably you or you're at least going to have a lot of say in that development. And also, um, there's it's really hard to to separate design and development, at least in a you know like in a timeline perspective because. If you're doing it right, you're designing something and iterating on it as a designer, and then you build something, and as much as you may not want to, you're going to end up having to go back and change it. And so I just feel like it's this constant back and forth. And um, so having having people who can kind of you know put a, bo- a foot in both camps is is very useful. Now, but in larger organizations. Um, it's when people break down things down into like you've got your front end team and you've got your design team and um, uh, you might have uh, an iOS team and then a web team. You know, it, it can it gets more and more complicated and people draw lines. But I always feel like the lines that people draw are where friction occurs in organizations. Where, when, wherever people break up design and development, that's kind of where you get more miscommunication um, than than you probably want. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I uh, at a lot of places I've worked at, you know, you'll or at some places, you know, like they'll have like the designers at like one part of the room or in one mm-hmm. you know area, and they'll have the, you know, yeah, like you said, they'll have the back end engineers in this other area, and they'll have the iOS and you know Android people in this other area, mm-hmm. and yeah, I kind of like, I kind of wish that like if we're you know if I'm working with a designer or whatever to like like, I kind of wish we were all just you know like the designers and the developers maybe should be working more closely together yeah. in a lot of places, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and I always, you know, I sort of almost see it like a spectrum mm-hmm. on that, like, you know, instead of being like, you know, so uh, clearly defined is like on one end, maybe you have somebody who's like doing like purely like graphical, mm-hmm. you know, like icons and stuff. And then on the other end, maybe you have somebody who's doing like, you know, purely back end stuff, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know. To me, it's more of a spectrum where it's like maybe you are more in the, you know, like I think I'm like more in the middle, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, more in the middle, leaning more towards development. And maybe you're like more in the middle, like leaning more towards design. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But like, it's hard for me to like see that as like a hard line because Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like if you're making something, especially, you know, in like a small company, like you do end up just kind of doing a lot of everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like too the it's it's getting harder and harder. I mean, I feel like the apps that were coming out on iOS when the when the store launched, um, the amount of things they did were so much smaller than your average app today. And so I just feel like all the people involved are just I mean they're just kind of stepping all over each other as people are implementing features that take advantage of networking and you know um, all sort or whatever whatever the apps do and so i feel like that interconnectedness like you it really it really does get a lot more blurry because somebody who was a back-end engineer and didn't have to deal with design before um they probably have to do it a lot more in their day-to-day work now than they did a few years ago now that stuff is just so much more complex yeah that yeah absolutely that's true um things have become infinitely more complex than they were you know eight years ago yeah yeah, definitely thing yeah back when uh you know half the apps i wrote in 2009 i feel like barely even like talked to the network yeah right like they were just they were very simple they didn't do very much it was it was great 
it was so much fun to make those kind of apps. Um, yeah, I, I have a, uh, like mind vault. One of the things has kept me from updating it for a couple of years is like, I know I should sync between different, you know, like between the Mac, uh, between the, uh, iPad app and the iOS app, if the people have both of them, whatever. And it's just the, the thought of the complexity of actually handling syncing, even if it's, you know, so with something like cloud kit, it's just, it's a little overwhelming to me when, <laughs> because back when I did it, it was fine. You didn't need network connectivity. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I definitely kind of feel the same way about some of the things that I've wanted to do, right. Is that I feel like, uh, you know, there were times where you could, you know, even in like two, even up to like 2011, you could put out like a pretty simple thing Mm -hmm. by yourself. And it was, there was, you know, like, uh, like Vesper, right. Came out around iOS six. Right. And it didn't, didn't even sync or anything yet. Yeah. Uh, and that was like, you know, not really acceptable then, but like that was a pretty popular app yeah. and like, you know, yeah. it didn't sync for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, I think today that probably wouldn't have been as acceptable, like for them to have launched it all like that. Yeah. I, I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. It's almost like, it's almost like it's a little intimidating to get back into updating some of these old apps because it's like, well, you know, I could do this, but now there's like five or six more things that are standard that like, I'm not going to have time to, to add in the next you know month or whatever. Yeah. On the other hand, though, like, you know, all the apps that we have uh, are, you know, our phones can do a lot more than they could a few years ago, which is pretty cool. Yeah, they definitely can. They definitely can. It's great. It's it's great as a customer. I, I feel like as a as a somebody who develops stuff, you know, at, at the level I do, uh, it's it's just intimidating. You know what I mean? Like on the other end, there's a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although I feel like do you feel like, uh, you know, speaking about like the design side mm-hmm. of it, though, again, I mean, this has been years now, right? But, uh, you know, I do think it's been a benefit, though, like since iOS 7, mm-hmm. right, when things got so much simpler, yeah. there was kind of a line of like the graphical fidelity that uh, you needed, uh, you know, when to ship an iOS 6 app was so much higher. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, than it was in like previous versions, yeah. uh, you know, to ship an iOS 2 app an iPhone OS two app, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the level of like graphical fidelity you had to reach was so much higher than it had been a few years previously. And it, you know, kept going in that direction. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then th- everything flattened out and is, you know, maybe a lot more approachable for somebody like me mm-hmm. who has like, you know, some design sense and whatever, but doesn't, um, have, uh, you know, doesn't, I don't have like a giant background in like actual like graphic design though. of yeah. Like, you know, like working in Photoshop or whatever. Yeah, and you you have to you have to think that that's one of the big reasons they made the shift they did with iOS seven. I mean, there's there's like fashion stuff. You know, sometimes it just looked dated. But also, if they can simplify things for their millions of developers or whatever, so that you know they can crank out more apps for their store without easier and have them look decent. I I mean, I, I have to think that that was a big part of their strategic reasoning for doing what they did with iOS seven. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think it was a good move yeah. because, uh, because, um, I, back in my iOS six apps, I remember I spent so much time just like do, you know, working on like gradients uh-huh. and, um, you know, you know, gradients and making the stupid rounded corners at the top of my <laughs> navigation bar look just right. Sure. And, uh, you know, I spend so much time on stuff like that uh, that I just don't do anymore. Yeah. It just isn't a thing that I I do as much. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like the, you know, 
but I feel like there's, you know, the pendulum swung really far that way. And I feel like it's kind of settling out a little bit more in the middle. And it's, I feel like UI design in the last year or so has gotten a lot more interesting on iOS than it, than it did for a couple of years before that, just because I feel like um, they're now starting, now it's becoming more acceptable to int- introduce, you know, shadows again. And there, there's different layout stuff, big bold typography. So to me, it's, it's, it's getting mm-hmm. more interesting again. Um, but I, I don't know that we'll get back to that, to that, you know, stitch leather stuff anytime soon. Yeah. Hopefully, Hopefully not. Um, <laughs> they might they might make an API for you, like the Stitch Leather API. Maybe be fine. Well, that would have been okay. <laughs> uh, I mean that. I mean, I guess that is a thing too that's happening. Uh, you know, that's always happened is that the uh, you know the APIs have always been. Uh, you know, Apple will publish a uh, you know speaking of Stitch Leather API or whatever. Uh, you know, is that Apple always? You know. Um, it's like they're like one iOS, you know, they're like one or two versions of the OS ahead of mm-hmm. us and that like they clearly have APIs to do a bunch of cool, tricky stuff that they do. But then like we have to like all roll our own for yeah, a lot of yeah. like if we want to stay up to date with the system in some ways. Yeah, like um, uh, the 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 Maps app right now, the, um, you know, having the having the you know, your main interaction being at the bottom of the screen and kind of this pain thing that comes up instead of their usual navigation controller nested thing. I feel like that's like a really interesting shift. And I'm, I'm curious to see if they, if they roll it out across other things, but you know, if, if, if a developer wants to do that right now, they have to, like you said, roll their own, right. It's, it's, it's not as, it's not as easy. Yeah. And that's kind of like the example I was thinking of is, uh, you know, if you've, if you listen to like ATP mm-hmm. or um, read Marco's blog, is how much work he had to put into getting those uh, that like sheet interface sure. going right. Yeah, yeah. So um, going back to design trends, mm-hmm. uh, what do you what do you see? Like you, know, you were saying that you think you know like shadows are becoming more acceptable mm-hmm. again. Um, what do you see as being like the big trends like that have you know that are happening right now? I feel like I feel like the big thing. Um, that is really, I mean, it goes back to like the shadows and the pain things at the top is just having more depth, more um, like Z, Z index uh, um, uh, layers in your app. Uh, this is a thing that's happening on Android and iOS is starting to do it in their own way where you have one pane behind and another pane um, ahead of, in front of it. So in a way it's, it's kind of funny because it's like um, it's getting back to the skeuomorphism in its own way, because you have kind of this fake depth in your phone, right? Um, like a layer in front and then like it almost like fake, like 200 pixels or 50 pixels down into the phone, like another layer. Right. So you kind of have this, mm-hmm. this, I'm trying to think of like a good word for it. Like a, like almost like a pop-up bookie thing happening where you've got different, different levels and layers. And so I think that is, in a way it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot, it's a lot more physical, but kind of in a different way than the old stitch leather stuff. It's a lot more tactile and, um, you know, moving, uh, kind of, kind of moving these different layers around. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, uh, I remember I've, I've worked on some stuff like that with the big, one of the big design system I, I did last year. And it's a lot of fun to work on that kind of stuff because you can, you can kind of, um, you know, you, you can you can dive deep in the documentation of it and and and, and kind of make it um, 
have have a rationality behind the different mm-hmm. depths you set things at, even if you never, you know, your user's never going to know that. But it's 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 kind of fun to come up with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that that seems like something that sort of came along with, uh, you know, on the iOS side, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of something that came along in iOS seven, mm-hmm. right, where they. They started, you know, they were using the frosted glass thing a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, talking about layers. You yeah, know. I think I feel like they talked about layers, and they had the frosted glass thing. But to me, it always felt very flat. It didn't feel like multiple mm-hmm. layers. I feel like we're actually getting the multiple layers just in the last year or two. Yeah, so I was going to say is it feels like it's like we're actually maybe starting to deliver on, you know, uh, you know, with like more of like the big bold typography mm-hmm. is another example, and with that. Uh, I feel like maybe we're just starting to deliver on a lot of the promises of iOS 7 yeah. that it couldn't quite deliver on. Yeah, and I wonder if some of the big bold typography, I think it's really cool, really interesting. I wonder if it's because, um, uh, at least at least from what I've read, it seems like the the, the marketing design teams uh, kind of came into the product a little more starting with iOS 7 um, uh, at Apple. And, uh, and um, you know, it's, like big bold typography, like that's that's like an that's like a print advertising marketing type type stuff. It's not really what you expect to see in UI design. To, so to me, it's kind of exciting bringing in some of the great stuff from the from kind of the old world of design now into the UIs. Yeah, and I mean, I think that was something that when we, like I said, something that maybe we didn't deliver on, but I think was talked about a lot around the time, like of iOS seven and eight, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Was uh, you know bringing some of that like sense of like you know page layout and typography and stuff into you know developing these sorts of apps and things. Yeah, 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 and I, I yeah I think it's actually happening now, which is, which I think is exciting. And and I and I wonder if um, I also kind of feel like um, like Android uh, the way I wonder if they I feel like before. I, the Apple team didn't really have to worry about what was happening over on the Android side because it didn't seem like they could they could find their own nose or whatever. But but now it seems like they're getting pushed um, to 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 keep their designs interesting and fresh um, because Android has gotten pretty interesting itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think it's good, mm-hmm, right? Definitely. When uh, I think when Android, uh, you know, I think. Android being better has definitely, uh, you know, pushed iOS to do better. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I'm glad that Apple is on their toes. You know yeah, what I definitely, mean? Definitely. Um, so there's two other things I wanted to ask sure. you about. Um, one was that you said you've been doing web development on an iPad using Coda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is, which is pretty interesting. Cause I don't, know a lot of people you know who are doing like really heavy productivity stuff like that on an ipad so maybe uh maybe we could talk about like what the challenges and uh exciting parts of uh doing that yeah so the way (laughs) i mean it is it is challenging because um so what what, basically what's happened is i have i have like a 12 inch ipad pro which i really enjoy I, i use it for writing and for drawing and and stuff um but i have uh i have a few i have you know couple freelance clients, um, some nonprofit organizations I work with who, where I kind of run the websites and maintain them. So, you know, kind of a minor sysadmin role to a degree. Um, and, uh, but I don't want to take my personal laptop to work cause it's heavy and I wanted to do it for my iPad. And so I wanted to figure out a way to do that. And so basically what I figured out is, uh, I use, um, 
I set up staging servers uh, that are hosted, you know, at, at however, like basically VPSs that are hosted for staging the websites. And I do, and then I basically do all of the work on from those staging servers. So I start Gulp or whatever my whatever the preprocessor is for the app um, to process my um, SAS files and JavaScript and all that kind of stuff. And so I just run it on a staging server um, kind of to have a slightly more latent, uh, more it's basically the, to me, it's sim- close enough to developing locally. Um, you just have to wait for files to upload and download, you know, so you can work on mm-hmm. them and edit them. And it works, it works pretty well. Um, uh, but it's, it does seem like kind of a, a weird thing. I basically, I've got a, a very nice code editor, but, um, I'm, I'm, the files are living on a server and cause there's, as far as I know, there's not really a way to do local, real local web development on an iPad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, is there anything else? I mean, I'm trying to think, uh, is there anything else that even touches Coda on the iPad or is that kind of it? I feel like that's kind of it. I mean, I, uh, at least from, from what I've investigated, um, they've got a couple, there's, there was one that was called Textastic a while ago that I used, um, a little bit, but I feel like the fact the fact that Coda has got basically the 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 um, terminal functionality of their prompt app built into it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and some FTP stuff in there, I feel like it's it's kind of it. The the only thing that I wish that they had in the iPad version that they do have on the on the Mac version is the um, is. Uh, the SQL, like the MySQL um, database stuff. Oh yeah, that would be that would be handy. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I, I do have to do a third party app or do that all from the terminal, which is uh, is is a little cumbersome sometimes. Um, but uh, as far as I can tell, I don't I don't think there's anything else that touches it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a crazy app. I uh, I don't have a lot of use for it, right? Because uh-huh. I'm not a web designer. Yeah. But um, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, but I I've definitely you know played with that app just because it's so it's so interesting, it's so neat, it's such a great you know, it's such a great. All their apps are great, yeah. right? Panic is the best. Yeah, they really are, and and I mean, it also kind of just drove home to me this whole process that like to to, to do web development, what you need is a text editor, uh, terminal, and then a place that can actually run your stuff, which unfortunately is in, in the case of an iPad is as far as I know just a VPS you know, hosted somewhere else, but, um, you don't need that much to, to get it done. So I feel like the, 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 the hurdle to do productive web development on the iPad is, is not as high as, uh, as, as some people would think. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I mean, as far as like crazy, uh, you know, crazy things you need to do to make your, your, uh, your stuff happen, Mm -hmm. I feel like needing to upload to your VPS isn't the craziest yeah. Uh, iPad productivity thing somebody's had to do. Yeah, I mean, and, and so you just got to uh, make sure you've got your version control set up, and it's uh, you're doing it on a staging server instead of production or whatever. Because you know you could you could go cowboy and just do it on your production if you wanted, but that's not recommended. Yeah, not so good. Um, so then the uh, so then the other thing is you mentioned that you're working with some nonprofits, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing maintaining their web stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And one of them is really interesting that you you, you sent me, and I'm, I'm looking at their website, uh, called uh, Their Story is Our Story, mm-hmm. and their tagline is Giving Voice to Refugees. Yeah. Uh, what what it, Maybe you could say what this is. And then, yeah, so this, uh, their story is our story, um, or we, we kind of call it TSOS as well, is they, they do, um, what we do is we, we uh, try to help give refugees a voice. It's an organization with filmmakers, writers, um, photographers, artists, who basically have done, um, last year they did a, big trip over to Europe to visit refugee camps, basically collected interviews. And then what we do is we publish stories of these refugees where they can say what's happened to them, where they came from, what their life was like, what it is like um, now. And then we share these stories on a variety of social media platforms and just try to uh, kind of build awareness of the issue and help, um, help people get to understand uh different understand what refugees are actually going through because at least for us here in America where the refugee crisis is not so immediate, it's kind of, it's pretty hard to understand. Uh, uh, it's, it's hard to understand what's actually going on if you can't talk to people personally. So we try to kind of bridge that gap so you can, you can at least hear the stories from people themselves. Mm-hmm. That's such a great cause. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, it makes so much sense being able to, um, you know, it can feel very far mm-hmm. away, you know, if you're somewhere like here, but doing something like that, uh, you know, definitely can make it feel closer. Yeah. Yeah. I it was, it was interesting. Um, I got involved last year, uh, kind of, uh, as the political situation changed and refugees who had been, you know, the United States had promised to accept a certain number the year before. And then, uh, as, uh, Trump started running and, and stuff started getting crazy, there was just this, there was just this kind of, weird backlash that, that I saw happening at the same time as, um, as, and during that process, I saw these people that I knew who were on this trip over to Europe and, um, doing these interviews. And I, and, um, I remember there's also in like a news article about a guy who was really against having Muslims enter the country and, and was, was very adamant about that refugees should, should go back to where they came from. But then he had a Muslim family move in down the street and then he talked about how he got to know them and he's totally changed his mind. He's totally, um, and, uh, he's, he's totally shifted on the issue. And it seems like if we could just give more people, even small versions of that experience of getting to know a refugee family and, 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 uh, see what they're actually like, it could, it could, it could hopefully shift some of the rhetoric and some of the bad feelings that, that happen. Yeah, I think, you know, humanizing people mm-hmm. that maybe you don't have experience with is so important, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a, there's a, um, a we're, we're doing another trip. I'm going to go over this time with them uh, uh, this fall. And so there'll probably be fundraising and stuff involved with that uh, coming up here in the next couple of months. So it's, it's, a, it's a great experience. I really enjoyed being involved with it, working with, it's a small team, but um, I really like working with them. And it's, it's a great opportunity as well. Um, to get to try out things, uh, uh, you know, professionally designing and developing that I don't get necessarily get to do in my job or for clients because they don't need it or whatever. But like, Mm -hmm. I, it's a small organization. So if I have an idea, I can just do it. And, and, uh, and it's, it's a great opportunity to try things out as well. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's awesome. And, uh, 
that seems like a good place to uh to to maybe wrap sure. up but um because but uh because I, I don't know where i go from there <laughs> Uh, after talking about refugees it's kind of a a heavy subject (laughs) yeah but do you have any final thoughts no i I mean i think uh uh about that well i I don't know i mean i I feel or just just in in general general, about yeah anything uh no i i i i'm uh i'm happy to been able to come on the show i hope uh i hope that um that you're able to get uh, a lot more guests and I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. I just wanted to give you an opportunity. No, no, it's okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, but thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, why don't you just go ahead and say how people can find you? Uh, yeah, they can find me on, um, on Twitter. I'm at Noah Reed and Reed is spelled R E A D. And then on micro dot blog, I'm, uh, just Noah, um, and then I think there's your micro dot blog mentioned for this show. Uh, Hooray. <laughs> we did it. And then, uh, you can see, uh, uh, I, my writing on my website, noahreed.net. And then, um, to see the, their story is our story. It's, uh, TSOS org. Excellent. And, uh, if you'd like to follow me on a uh, micro dot blog, I'm Colin dot micro dot blog. Uh, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, it's Colin Donnell. You can follow the show at The Run Loop. Uh, and if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com uh, slash Colin Donnell. Uh, Noah, thank you so much again and have a great evening. Thank you.